This is the Shift Podcast. Rob Fay in for the Shift Podcast with Shane Hewitt. Many music legends passed away this year. Canadian music writer Alan Cross reminds us that our music heroes are in fact mortal, but their music isn't. Plus, what is it like to get a drum lesson from Ringo Starr? Are you okay with forklifts? Yeah, we had a lot of reaction to that. And Ryan O'Donnell, he's the millennial on the radio and shows his appreciation for not only Star Wars and the community that it created, but why KD Kraft Dinner is superior to mac and cheese. This is the Shift Podcast. Gentlemen, the first thing that I will ask you is, are you okay with forklifts? Ooh. Uh, Do you want to know a really weird thing that's happening on the internet right now? There is a whole meme subculture about people like ranking society and at the very top are people with certified forklift operator status i don't know why it started (laughs) but it's everywhere i can't escape it and it made me want to get my forklift license and i'm happy to say that i did not do that because that would be really stupid because they would be completely useless in my life but i respect anybody that can drive and operate a forklift here's the thing of all the jobs i've worked at were forklifts are used it's a lot of them um nobody had a forklift license like nobody had a forklift license and everyone just got on the forklift so high in society yeah that's true i never did i've never had a forklift license and i refuse to use the forklift because i'm not licensed however everybody else did and they just zipped around warehouses on these things unlicensed I used to be the kid that would bring in the carts from outside. I worked at No Frills in high school, and I always envied the guy that worked the forklift because he was like the guy, and I was just cart boy outside. Anyways, a man in Australia found a very interesting way to use a forklift. The Aussie noticed a woman trying to steal his car, so guess what? He sprung into action, went and got the old forklift, and used it to lift the car off the ground while the woman was trying to steal it, thwarting her. Great word and succeeding in one of the most amazing ways to thwart a crime in history. The alleged theft, unable to open the door, and then basically, because of the forklift prongs, couldn't do anything with it. Brendan Mills, now a bonafide hero, joined the Sunrise Show in Australia live from his forklift to walk them through what happened. And it was amazing. Oh, what was I thinking? Um, <laughs> we just came home from an outing and... Um it all unfolded in front of us so fast, and I, I had to act um, as safely as possible for me and my family. Um, and so, yeah, that's the measures I had to take. Okay. Why does a bloke have a forklift in his yard to start um, with? Look, <laughs> I, I'm in the automotive trade. Um, right. Right. I, I don't know if you know about lifting heavy things, but um, forklifts make light lifting, mate. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for explaining that to Koshi. He's not really, um, you know... Handy at all. At, at all handy. Not very hands-on, mate, eh? Yeah. No, not at all. No, no calluses on don't, Look, don't go too far. I love that he takes shots at the host. Oh. According to Sunrise, a 24-year-old woman uh, has been arrested, uh, was so at the property. She's charged with burglary, unlawful use of a motor vehicle, and a Queensland police statement said that she... He's uh, in a little bit of trouble. Gentlemen, do you now look at forklifts differently? I look at uh, Australians difficult or differently because that was 
one of the greatest interviews I've ever heard. I wish I could obviously play the full five minutes of it because this guy is literally sitting in his forklift, live breakfast television, just and throwing jabs at the hosts. It was outstanding. Correct me if I'm wrong. Correct me if I'm wrong here. Yeah. But they don't move very fast. Like you put it in reverse, it goes beep, beep, It's a good question. It's a good point. Does the 24-year-old lady stealing the car not see the forklift coming? Well, so the forklift was actually beside the car. So this lady was inside the car, and I don't know if she was trying to hotwire it or if she had keys or she was trying to figure (laughs) out what to do, but it had enough time for this guy to hop in his little forklift and drive it through and lift the car off the ground. And with the video, there's video of the cops arriving too, which is really funny because they look, they walk up to the car and they just look up at this lady and they can't, she can't do anything. She's stuck. It's outstanding. So she got about $6 and change. She's probably smelling like one of those, you know, air fresheners that you buy at Chevron, like pine. And now she's about five feet in the air as the police show up to take her to the clink. It's unbelievable. 10 out of 10. All right. Uh, Gentlemen, are you okay with relaxing in your backyard? I wish I had a backyard. I have a patio. I actually, for an apartment in downtown, I actually have a pretty decent little patio. Uh, But I do miss the yard. I I miss, especially summertime, like in the evening. I hate being outside in the sun because I'm Irish and I burn instantaneously. But in the evening... With a beverage, the sun's up a little bit, and there's not too many bugs out. Like that's 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 amazing. You're Irish too. Yeah, me too. Did Shane like just basically hit you guys up for free airfare? She's not here by last name. (laughs) (laughs) You're right, O'Donnell and Kelly. We could own a pub. O'Donnell Kelly. My middle name is Patrick. Like it doesn't get much more Irish. Fair than enough. That. Fair enough. What about you, Brendan? You like the old backyard? Well, I just, as people are aware, I just recently moved. Took me a while. Um, I moved, and I moved from a place that had a backyard to now I'm in a building, so I don't have a backyard. So I'm missing the old backyard action because um, now my backyard is an alleyway. So. <laughs> Ah, yes, the yeah, old alleyway backyard. Not it's not for everybody. Well, I'll tell you what. You maybe, maybe there's a reason that you don't have it, and this story might help you. Get a load of this. How about relaxing in your backyard when all of a sudden you're interrupted? You're just trying to relax. You know, it gets a little frustrating. Somebody's bothering you. You're like, dude, I'm trying to get some sun. Then the thing that's bothering you ends up being a massive snake. A woman in New York found a nine-foot-long boa constrictor in her backyard this week. Imagine you're just sitting in your backyard relaxing on a Friday afternoon with your two-year-old granddaughter by your side. But if you turn just right into the weeds right next to me, there's a different perspective. A nine-foot boa constrictor waiting to lunge at you. It looked like a log. Um, I was stunned. I didn't know what to do at that point. This quiet backyard in Derby turned hectic in a heartbeat. Cindy Schmitz was near where we're standing right now. When this not-so-friendly reptile decided to pay her a visit. Chuck, I guess, is one way of putting it or just so unbelievable this isn't happening. Thankfully, Cindy saw the snake and picked up the phone, calling the SPCA serving Erie County. Her call got animal rescue investigator Jennifer Moleskis on the scene ASAP. Quite honestly, I, I mean, this was the largest one I had ever come across, and it, I did a, a whoa. 
Boa constrictors like this one are native to the tropical rainforests in South America. Clearly, this one is a long way from home. Unfortunately, people don't um, aren't educated and they just think that they can survive in the wild. But it, it's also a possibility that, you know, she escaped. Snakes are snaky. They, you know, they can get around. <laughs> ah, yes, the old snakes are snaky. Uh, by the way, courtesy of ABC7, the snake, if you're wondering... The snake's always the bad guy here. The snake is now safe with the SPCA, and despite the fact they don't have a big enough cage for it, actually, no, let me rephrase that. They don't have a big enough cage for it. So what do they do? Put it on a leash? Boa constrictors are common snakes to be kept as pets and are known to occasionally show up in unexpected places, you know, when they're snaky and stuff. Mm-hmm. So uh, here is a fun but not terrifying at all example. Clearwater Police Department in Florida respond to an apartment complex back in December, a red-tailed boa constrictor slithers out from between the cushions of a man's recently acquired couch. Imagine going to Craigslist. Craigslist? Facebook Marketplace. <laughs> <laughs> you lug that thing home. You're like, man, this couch is really heavy. It must be real wood. <laughs> then the python comes out. <laughs> oh, I would die. I would die. To- That's a nightmare. If I saw the snake in the backyard... It would be, ooh, and then, you know, go inside and you call. But if I it was in the house, in the couch, I'd, I'd burn the house down. That'd be my first instinct. I'll tell you this. Actually, oh, go ahead. Uh, no, I was just going to say SPCA. Imagine getting that call. Like, realistically, <laughs> hey. if it's a cat, like, whatever, I might get scratched. Hey, can you come and pick up this log? But it's actually not a log. It's a snake. And we don't have a cage for it, but could you still grab it and haul it in the back of the truck? Like, SPCA, do God's work, man, because if that call came my way, forget it. Yeah, that's a bad day on the job at the SPCA, (laughs) for sure. Or they, they pro- or some of them probably live for that kind of stuff. I know, like, I have a couple of friends that are definitely, like, big into reptiles, bugs, and insects. And uh, the joy on their face when they see a bigger reptile and all that is, is almost infectious in a way. So I bet, like, there's, for every five SPCA workers, there's the one that's, like, and they're probably from Australia. Snake Ooh, guy. Snake, let's go. Yeah. Snake oh. guy. And then there's probably spider guy. Cat guy, dog guy, bird guy. Snakes don't feel as gross as you think they're going to. No, they don't. I I don't mind snakes. Snakes No shot, man. No shot. I was at a a festival down by, um, what's the road? Is it Wreck Beach here in in Vancouver? Don't worry, I didn't go to Wreck Beach. I was save people the trouble. (laughs) But I was waiting to use the porta potty. Because, you know, it's busy and you got to use these little stand-up kaibos, whatever. And I had been waiting. I'm like, God, I'm looking at my watch. I'm like, man, let's go. Finally, the door opens. And it's kind of like this hippie concert and everybody's just kind of smoking weed and doing their thing. And when when you know it, around his neck is a boa constrictor. Oh. And I'm just like, all of a sudden, I did not have to go to the washroom anymore. Like, immediately, I was just like, I'm totally out. But I freeze. I freeze. What am I going to do? I might have gone to the washroom immediately. Yes, yeah, there's one of two scenarios that are going to happen there. Yeah, yeah I went for the, the clinched bottom uh, appropriate uh, or inappropriate reaction. I'm not sure how it went. But anyways, I, I also covered 420 once at the art gallery right next door. And all of a sudden at like about 438, somebody's like, dude, where's my snake? I'm like, what? <laughs> is it, is it a he picked it up like two seconds later. It was just like in the grass. 
that can't be a coincidence because yeah. the guy that I know who loves reptiles is also the biggest stoner I've ever met in my entire life. Oh, the it two go be, hand in hand. Yeah. yeah, it must be amazing to like take care of a snake while you're high. Clearly, that has to be the only only logical yeah. reason. For this. I'll never understand. Like, I, I, I get it. There's an affection and a real beauty of certain snakes, but. It's not like the snake comes up and licks you or jumps on your, you know, lap when you get home like a dog or a cat or a bird that's like, welcome home. You know, I don't know. I think that's a cockatoo. Uh, what is Many. what is the benefit? Like, what does the snake do? Here's a rat. I don't know. I don't know what snake affection could be. And I really don't want to know, to be honest. Yeah, I think I think it's the actual art of taking care of them and watching them shed their skin. And uh, a lot of them are actually very calm and are very like, they're not going to bite you unless they feel threatened. So I think it's kind of similar to taking care of, of, of an insect. Maybe it's a challenge or maybe they feel like they have a connection regardless. It's not for me. I can, I, I am terrible with animals. My partner has a dog and I, I'm just the cool uncle. I just pet it. I've never disciplined that dog once. I just go up and pet it. And if it needs to be disciplined, I walk away. <laughs> like, that's not my job. So I respect anybody that can raise, finger quote, a snake. I'm always thinking to myself, this is where I'm a little bit weak. And luckily, we got a break we got to get to here. I always think what animals I could beat in a fight. Like, I would lose to a snake. A snake would, you know, wrap itself around me and I'd be dead. Alligator would, you know, chubs me, like, from Billy Madison. Yeah, it was not Billy Madison. It was uh, Happy Gilmore. But there's got to be, like, you see the ones where the kangaroo, did you see this last week? The kangaroo attacked the guy and the guy punched the kangaroo in the face. Yep. And then the the kangaroo, you know, beat it. Imagine that. Aren't they like natural boxers, those kangaroos? Imagine getting knocked out by a kangaroo. Yeah, no. I'd totally put that on my LinkedIn profile. This is the Shift Podcast. Well, it's not every day that you get to talk to a music aficionado, but when Alan Cross's name crossed my plate, I sat back and I said, well, I'm just going to sit back in the easy chair and let the good times roll, as they used to say in the old days. Alan, first and foremost, good evening. How are you tonight? I'm good. I'm uh, in Vancouver. Uh, I'm on uh, a speaking engagement thing and uh it's it's nice to be uh, away after so long cooped up with covid i know it has been something that i think as everybody kind of peeks their head up above the ground for the first time in a little while the world's changed i actually was having a conversation with cardinal official and i said you know with everything going on in the world whether it's covid or whether it's just this uh political unjust that we are going through right now if it wouldn't spawn some better music he thought that it could what do you think well, I think it can. We're starting to see a lot of releases right now that are branded in one way or another as our pandemic album or our lock, lockdown album or the album that we recorded in isolation or the album that I recorded on the West Coast and exchanged files with my buddy on the East Coast. So we're starting to see that sort of stuff. I don't know if there's a sound Although I have noticed that there seems to be a lot of really introspective music coming out, which stands to reason, given that everybody was in lockdown for a couple of years. Um, Whether or not we're actually going to want to relive those years through this music is another thing entirely, because I was looking at some statistics today. We're about 75% of the way back to the number of festivals that we had in 2019. So People are, are looking to get out and, 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 and party and maybe 
you know, forget the last two years ever happened, which would be very risky, but you get the sense that people are really, really tired of talking about COVID and not being able to do things. You know, I think back to Vietnam and what that spawned music-wise. Do you see any earmarks of similarities or is it just two completely different things? Well, when, when Trump was elected in 2016, I made this um, prediction that uh, music was going to turn harder, angrier, and more desperate. And it never really did. And that kind of surprised me. I thought we would see a lot more in the way of protest music. I thought we'd see a resurgence in heavy, hard, angry rock and punk. And we never really did. And maybe that's because music has become so fragmented and stratified over the decades. Uh, There's the, the sense of consensus that we used to have back in the day when we didn't have streaming, when we didn't have social media has really declined. You know, I I tell a story that when I was in grade 10, there were 30 people in the class. Two of those people were country music fans. Um, Seven of them were pop music fans and the, and the rest were all kiss fans. And the reason they were kiss fans is because the guy in the radio told us that kiss was the greatest band in the world. The magazines all told us that kiss was the greatest band in the world. We went into a record store. What was racked up front, all the kiss records. So we were, we, we agreed to agree that kiss was the greatest band in the world. And that's because we had everything going through filters like record labels and record stores and music magazines and radio stations. We don't have those filters anymore. And we're free to choose whatever music we want to listen to, no matter what the era or the genre. So without that sense of consensus, it's it's really hard for people to be on the same page and roll in the same direction. And any other metaphor you want to throw in when it comes to the way music uh, should be. Uh, Music is and still I think as far as I'm concerned, we'll always be downstream of what's happening in society. But it's not as prevalent as it was in the 1960s, 1970s, simply because we are all our own music director and we're free to listen to whatever we want, whenever we want, wherever we happen to be on whatever device we happen to have. When I was a kid, it was Chris Shepard in Toronto. I know you spent some time in Toronto as well. Uh, and that was a big deal with pirate radio and everything that came about it. It was a, it was a, a vibe. Like you never knew where you, Chris Shepard was going to show up with pirate radio and it just mm-hmm. became a big experience. Now you don't have any of that theater, of the imagination, or at least in my estimation, I got two teenagers. They don't talk to me about music the way that I talk to my parents about music. And I'm not saying that as the old man shaking his stick in the clouds, but with social media and the access and just the, it, it's, it's really hard to get a vibe anymore on, on what's hot, what's not, and what I like and what I don't like. Yeah, and, and consumption is really, really different. I mean, when you think about TikTok, people have been, uh, of a certain generation, have been consuming music in 30-second chunks, <laughs> you know? And and the music that they're consuming on TikTok is certainly different from what you might hear on the radio or you might find on the, you know, the, the Spotify Hot 200 or something like that. So it's, you know, it's, it's how things are evolving and they're going to continue to evolve in this direction as we see more of this segmentation and stratifying. I don't know where it's going, but um, I, I can tell you this, that there is still a, a vast appetite for music and a vast uh, appetite for live music. I'll give you an example. I, again, uh, looking at some studies and uh, with all the festivals that are back in 2022, like I said, there were 75% the level of the number of festivals we had in 2019. You know, how many, you know how many slots promoters have to fill for all the major festivals around the world this summer? 18,215. That's wow. individual performances. Wow. 
So there's there's lots of music, maybe too much, but if you look at um, ticket sales and anticipation for for these shows, um, it's it's still very 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 high. What's a festival that you looked at and said this is the greatest festival I've ever been to? Oh, the early Lollapaloozas. Crazy, uh, I, mean, I bet. Yeah, they they were. I mean, ninety one was sort of a, a, tr- a like a beta, a trial balloon. People didn't think that this touring caravan of weirdos was going to do anything. Uh, but by the time we got to nineteen ninety two, I mean, the, the differences between ninety one and ninety two were were incredible. Nineteen ninety one, the promoter gave me a whole bunch of tickets to tr- you know to paper the house because nobody was buying tickets to see, you know, Jane's Addiction and Ice T and Susie and the Banshees and and uh, Rollins Band and and Butthole Surfers and Nine Inch Nails. Nobody was going to go see them, uh, but. 91 was this watershed year where we had Nirvana and Pearl Jam and Soundgarden and Red Hot Chili Peppers and a whole bunch of other bands. And uh, by the time 1992 came around, uh, everybody wanted a piece of this new rock. So on the main stage, Lollapalooza in 1992, this is, this is the main stage. It started with a band called Lush, a really good shoegaze band from the UK. Mm-hmm. Then we moved on to the Jesus and Mary chain. Then we moved on to some new band called Pearl Jam. Then we moved on to some band, some guy named Ice Cube. Then there was this band called Soundgarden. Then there was this band called Ministry. And then there was this band called the Red Hot Chili Peppers <laughs> closing things out. That was the main stage. And on the side stage, you had bands like Tool and Stone Temple Pilots and a whole bunch of others. It was it was just insane. And 92, 93, and 94 and even 95 were, were pretty spectacular Lollapalooza years. And I thought they were, I'll never forget them. Was it one of the hardest things during the pandemic for you to have to not go to concerts and see live music? I mean, my parents are diehard. They love going to the small pubs and seeing live music. It was a, it was a really heart wrenching 18 months for them. Did you, did you go through that same withdrawal? I, I did. I mean, I really wanted to get out and, and, and see things. Um, I didn't miss standing in a hot club at 1215 on a Tuesday morning, waiting to see the band come on. Um, mm. That'll never do again. But yeah, I mean, it's, there are some things you just can't download. There are things that you have to experience communally and, and live music is one of them. And yeah, I, I, I missed, I really did miss going. The, the last show I saw before the lockdown was two. I saw you two in Singapore in very late November 2019. And then the last show before the pandemic, I saw David Lee Roth in a terrible show at the House of Blues in Las Vegas. That was my last show for two years. <laughs> yeah, I was going to, it's kind of like feast and famine because I mean, you two in Singapore would probably be, I would imagine, fantastic. Wild, yeah. Let's talk about some of the musicians who are no longer with us. 2022 has been pretty tough on the chin. And I'm, you think of, uh, I grew up with Depeche Mode, so Andy Fletcher was a big loss for me. But you think right out of the shoot, I mean, we flip the calendar, Meatloaf passes away. That's a generational voice. Well, the Andy Fletcher one was bad because I didn't see that coming. He was only 63 years old. And you think that, uh, holy crap, I mean, how, how can this possibly happen? And you see that this is a band that sold over 100 million records. How could somebody who obviously would have no trouble accessing health care, how could he die? What happened? Um, we, we still don't know. But, uh, I mean, a lot of these acts live really hard rock and roll lives. And it caught up with them after a while. I mean, David Bowie, Meatloaf, um, Stone, uh, Scott Weiland, Prince. I mean, they, they've all had their their 
you know, time in the sex, drugs, and rock and roll universe. And you can't do that forever, um, except if you're Keith Richards, of course. Then nothing really matters. You can just go on forever. Uh, but uh, two weeks ago, um, I was in Boston to see Paul McCartney again. You know, Paul McCartney turned 80 years old last week, and he's the greatest living songwriter of all time. Uh, and and you got to see these these dinosaurs, these heritage acts, these legacy acts, because I think somebody called it the Charlie Watts effect when Charlie Watts died. It was like, oh, God. So the Rolling Stones aren't eternal after all. So I better dig into my pocketbook and spend some big money to go see these acts because they're not going to be around for a long time. We've already lost Tom Petty. Um, you know, how much longer is Elton John going to be with us? Uh, it's, 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 it's sobering because so many of these acts have been with us for 40, 50 60 years in the case of Bob Dylan, we're almost up to up to 70 years. And it's uh, we've never known rock and roll without these people. How can we live in a universe where there's no Paul McCartney? I mean, we just can't conceive of that, but it, it's, it's going to happen in the coming years. And um, there's nothing we can do to stop it. The actual actual actuarial tables are against us. So let's go see these acts while we can. You know, it's funny. I was just watching TV the other day and I saw Madonna mm -hmm. on, on, and I said, I looked at my wife and I said, man, I said, that's a name I haven't thought of in a while. And now all of a sudden I'm looking at her and she's into the next phase of her life. Another name that kind of caught me by surprise was Naomi Judd. And there's obviously a story that goes into that one. But when you think of the Judds, I mean, Ashley and Winona, that's a big, big loss for the country community. And I think that was one of the few that stopped me in my tracks. Yeah, there, there have been a few like that. The, uh, the, the Judd suicide was something that, I mean, we, we knew that she was having all kinds of psychic pain, but we didn't know it was as bad as it was. And uh, to happen just before the Country Music Awards, like, wow, um, mm. that hurts. That's wild. And, you know, a mother-daughter duo who, you know, were you know, incredibly successful and groundbreaking. Um, to see that career come to that kind of an end is like, wow. I mean, what, what can you say? Can we finish up and just talk a little bit about the radio industry? I sure. have been in sports media for gosh, near 20 years. So to find myself having this conversation with you uh, is fantastic for me, but I wanted to talk about music and the radio because mm -hmm. walking into the building here at CKNW tonight is a big deal because you can feel the history oozing through the walls and you can talk about generations, but you know, I look at radio and I'm not talking about its demise, but how can it evolve in 2022? And maybe that's a really broad question to ask you, but I still feel that radio provides a service for the masses. And I'm curious to know with iTunes and a thousand different ways to quote unquote consume music, how does radio fit in? Well, let's be clear right from the top. Uh, radio is still very powerful, very popular, very profitable. Uh, it reaches eight out of 10 Canadians every single week. It is still the best way to get your music and your information out there uh, in terms of, of reach and in terms of uh, efficiency. But uh, radio, commercial radio, as we know it, is, turns 100 years old this, this year. Really, commercial radio started get, uh, after World War I when it was deregulated. It was considered to be far too important for the civilians to have during World War I. So it really wasn't until about 1922 when things began to open up with uh, private radio stations, uh, the BBC, and, and a variety of others. 
So this is a technology that's been with us for a hundred years. So, and it's, it's managed to fend off, you know, talking pictures and television and uh, music videos and, you know, all the other things. Radio is like a cockroach. It just won't go away. The, the difference now, though, is that in the digital era, people expect a certain amount of customization in what they listen to. And radio is slowly evolving into a uh, away from, from just being this one-way thing where you turn on a device and the information or the music or the audio comes out at you and you either accept it or you don't, to something that's a lot more two-way, a lot more interactive. Uh, the problem with developing that is that, like I said, radio is still doing very well. So to evolve into the next phase of its existence is like changing the wings on an airplane that's flying at 38,000 feet. You know, it's still doing well, but you have to make repairs and modifications mm. as you're doing what you're doing. That's very difficult. We went through a period of time about 20 years ago where we leapt into the internet just before the dot-com bubble burst, which uh, made us understandably and uh, gun-shy, which, you know, when it comes to, comes to new technology. So instead of, you know, going in with both feet, we're, we're, we're kind of, you know, working around the edges. We have podcasting, we have websites, we have uh, where we've embraced social media. Radio is something that is very, very good at telling stories and creating compelling audio entertainment. That's not going to go away. It may not be AM and FM uh, going forward. But it will be, people are always going to want audio entertainment and audio information somehow. And we're pretty good at it. I mean, we've been doing it for 100 years. You mentioned you're in Vancouver again. I wanted to, I wanted to find out why. I am here speaking to a convention um, for a company called Widex. They make hearing aids. And I'm going to talk about the importance of sound. Well, I can tell you there's no better voice to tune a, an earpiece than your, your voice. Well, that's fantastic that you're here. And the fact that you made time for me tonight, I owe you one because this was uh, a journey. And and just listening to you talk about the early Lollapaloozas and all the things that you've seen. I just, you know, it's, I've been doing this for 41 years. I can't believe when I started this, I had no idea that 41 years later, I'd still be doing it. And there's no end in sight. 41 years. Yeah. Like, have you, it's hard to put that into perspective. I brag about doing 14 years of minor league baseball, 41 years of music. But the beauty is you you must have a catalog in your head. I mean, it must uh, be, you know, well, what happened? I think there's a, everybody has, I think, a finite amount of storage in their head. Um, I will run across stuff that I have done. That's my voice. Those are my words. I don't remember doing them. <laughs> Okay, I have to ask you one question. I used to ask this all the time. It'll be my last one for you, Alan. I appreciate and value your time. Take me to, and I, I've had some great answers to this question. Take me to one place in your career where you thought, how the hell did I get here? Oh, okay. Um, I've had a number of those. So I'll give you what I would consider to be the most recent. Um, back in September of 2019, I was invited to London to Abbey Road Studios to listen to a 50th anniversary reissue of the Abbey Road album by the Beatles. And that was uh, held in Studio Two, where the album was recorded uh, in 1969. And uh, I'm sitting there with all these people and surrounded by the instruments the Beatles actually used on that album. And then when I was done, uh, I hopped in a cab, uh, went across town to Kensington, where I sat down with Ringo Starr, 
for 15 minutes. And uh, part of that interview uh, included him giving me a drum lesson. Come on. That's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I, I mean, that's just stupid. Yeah. And I know it is. It, but cool, stupid. It is cool, stupid. It yeah. is cool, stupid. Alan, thank you for your time tonight. I, I hope Vancouver treats you well. And the time that you give me is invaluable. And uh, let's do this again. You bet. Anytime. This is the Shift Podcast. All right. I want to take you into the mind of a millennial. The millennial on the radio. It's Ryan O'Donnell. You get your own intro for that? That's impressive. Uh, Yes. Dan Dan Davidson, country singer out of here in Alberta. He got crafty and made that incredible incredible intro even if i'm like off the radio and like in a completely different career 10 years from now i'm keeping that <laughs> i'm keeping that that's coming i might not be able to use it but i, I want it it's a ringtone to have exactly ringtone's a good idea uh okay so millennial oh i might get emotional here so bear with me uh obi-wan kenobi wrapped today the uh prequel sequel miniseries from disney plus focusing on everyone's favorite jedi Obi-Wan Kenobi from, yes, Star Wars. Uh, The season finale was incredible, like just unbelievable. I'll talk about it in some detail, but uh, what I want to really cover here actually doesn't have too, too much to do with the show because I will say that this particular episode left me with a feeling, a feeling that I think is something special. Is he not the chosen one? Is he not to destroy the Sith and bring balance to the Force? These visions you have, they're of pain, suffering, death. Train yourself to let go of everything you fear to lose. Star Wars is a special kind of franchise. It started in the 1970s and is still going strong to this day. And uh, that clip that you just heard is not from uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's from my favorite piece of Star Wars, which is Revenge of the Sith, which I grew up with. First, one of my earliest movies or memories of a movie theater is is Revenge of the Sith when I was uh, going to a friend's birthday party when I was nine. And uh, the reason I'm bringing that up is because this particular finale for this miniseries had something for every kind of Star Wars fan. If you grew up watching Star Wars when it came out in the 70s and 80s, there is an unbelievable amount of exciting callbacks and uh, respect for the original trilogy. If you, like me, were a kid when the prequels came out and went to go see those in theaters, there is a massive amount of redemption for the characters that you love from those flawed movies. And if you're a kid right now watching this show, growing up with this new version of Star Wars, it's some of the best content ever. And that's what I was left with as I'm sitting on the couch 
there's moments in this episode that brought me to tears as and they were genuine very genuine uh of seeing character arcs that have taken literal 40 years to be explored coming to an possible end or a conclusion uh i thought about the fact that i think it's kind of incredible that a piece of media connects people like this I was sitting on my couch with my breakfast, watching the show at the same time as millions of other people around the world who shared a passion and love for something that's space wizards. <laughs> it's just about space wizards. And I will never meet those people. I will never be able to talk to the other people that have such a deep passion because they're somewhere else in the world. And yet somehow we're connected in a way. And I think it's incredibly beautiful. And I, I was left with immense gratitude for Star Wars today. For the fact that hundreds of people across decades, decades, have worked to create a piece of media that brings people together in their shared passion for it from all walks of life. And I think that is something very special. And I was reminded of it today because of kind of there are definitely some Star Wars fans that are stinkers out there. They're racists and, and disgusting people. And I would hesitate to even call them fans. And their voices were very loud in their disdain for a lot of the stuff that has recently happened within the franchise. But today I didn't think about that at all when I watched the finale for Obi-Wan Kenobi. The only thing that came to mind today was how amazing I am and how privileged I am to have Star Wars in my life. Really am. So, so I have a question for you because you and yeah, I come yeah. from completely different walks of life. I feel the way that you described Star Wars is the way that many people feel about professional wrestling. And, and yeah. I, know, I, I know what you're <laughs> going to say, but we always get called the outcasts, the outliers, because A, it's fake. B, you know, it's all these guys in makeup and it's just it's what it is. But to that culture, that subculture in society, it's a really big deal. Mm hmm. But I don't know. I don't know if I've had anybody. Sorry, Ryan, not to cut you off. I I don't know if I've had anything tie all of the loose ends up. Like it makes Mm -hmm. me want to go watch the Obi Wan Kenobi series because I I I haven't circled back on Star Wars when they started to go with Hayden Christensen, Jar Jar Binks. That Mm -hmm. it lost me for a while. So I'm glad that they found their way back. Yeah, uh, this this show it it is 100 percent the redemption of Hayden Christensen. His performance in this series was by far his best performance uh, in in the Star Wars saga. I do like his performance in Revenge of the Sith. I think there a lot of it it has to do with the writing uh, and the dialogue. But I like the I like the comparison to wrestling because you know uh, you got to watch Brett the Hitman Hart in his prime. Yes, I got to watch Brett the Hitman Hart on reruns, and I still fell in love with the character i still fell in love with the storylines and was fascinated by the drama and then i had a constant flow of new characters like i watched randy orton and john cena and the big show right those kinds of characters uh you know get started and at the same time my favorite wrestler the undertaker i got to watch kind of this like midway point in his career at the end and the end but i also got to experience that with people who had been watching from the start And that's kind of like what Obi-Wan Kenobi is. So I think it's a very valid comparison. And I think all of us, if you are passionate about something, you kind of have a Star Wars in your life. And that's, I think, the biggest takeaway here is it isn't, obviously I'm giving love for Star Wars, but 
that's the best part about being nerdy or geeky over something is you create this sort of unspoken bond with someone else over your passion for something that's not real, but it feels very real to you. I think that's very cool. Well said. One of the best parts about being human, man. That's awesome. <laughs> I want to awesome. give you a hug right now. Yeah, right. If you were here, we'd be hugging. Give everybody a hug. (laughs) If you like, yeah. Well, I needed a hug after that finale. I'll tell you. Uh, This I'm excited. Okay, so Canadians and Americans like to point out our differences a lot. We like to pretend that we're vastly different people, and in a lot of ways, we are. But Canadian society is incredibly dependent upon American society. It might be kind of harsh to hear that, but when you compare the way our governments we're built and run like there's a lot of similarities, but we do have some truly big differences. We have stronger beer. That's an important thing in Canada. We have a stronger beer. Our cheap beer is stronger. The metric system. There's one. Uh, politics now, definitely very different and all that fun stuff. But I would say that there is no greater difference between the United States and Canada than craft dinner. In Canada, bear with me here. In Canada, we call it KD. It is craft dinner. Like we know it's macaroni and cheese, but it's craft dinner. The Americans call it craft macaroni and cheese, which I never understood because it's craft dinner. And KD in Canada, there's this bizarre ad that I grew up with. I remember watching it so vividly on TV where these kids are playing street hockey and then their mom calls them in to eat their lunch, which is craft dinner. And so they put it in a blender and make like uh, carnival hats with drinking straws so that they can drink their KD while they play street hockey. It's disgusting. It's disgusting, and yet it is such a vivid memory. And that's kind of what KD is to Canada. It's like, yeah, we know it's literally just noodles with cheese. Hold on. Say, can you rewind that and lunch. say that again? What, what? They drink the sauce through a straw? Did you okay, just say yeah, that? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what's the... Brenda, do you know the name of the hat? You know what I'm talking about? Like, you'd have two beers. It'd be like at a baseball game. You'd have two beers attached to the hat, and there'd be a straw. The drunk hat. Uh, sure, yeah. yeah. The it's beer foam hat or something like that. Beer foam hat. Yeah, right. So it was in the commercial. I'll post it to the Shift Facebook page, by the way, to prove that this is a real thing. They blend up their craft dinner, and then they put it in, a, in those hats, and then they drink, eat the craft dinner while they play hockey. That's gross. It's, sorry. It, no, it's, sorry. It's, it's gross. It's very gross. There's also another craft dinner ad where um, <laughs> this this guy's just like, and we've all done this, you know, eating craft dinner straight out of the pot, which is a vibe in of itself. But he's doing that. And then he just looks at his little brother who and he goes, you are what you eat. And then he just starts to glow orange. And then the commercial ends. Do you, put, KD. do you put ketchup on your KD? I used to, but not anymore. What, you're a connoisseur now? I just, yeah, I don't think I need it. I don't think I need it anymore. (laughs) And my taste buds have changed because, you know, things get less sweet over time, right? Like your taste buds change. I think I I don't like the taste in there that much. Uh, I prefer without the ketchup now. Yeah. Okay. Just curious. I hammer it with ketchup. Hammer it? It's almost Mm -hmm. equal parts. And then I put it into my beer foam hat and I drink it. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, no, that's a, it's never. a real thing. <laughs> okay, so first, why why am I talking about this? Okay, I, back to the difference between craft dinner and macaroni and cheese. It's the same product, but a very different name. 
And I was very excited because I saw on the news today that the American version of Kraft Dinner, Kraft Macaroni and Cheese, is getting a name change. So I got excited. I was like, are the Americans going to finally get in on the party here? Are they going to join what is the better side of this argument and join Kraft Dinner? No. The official rebrand is just now Mac and Cheese. That's it. Which makes sense because nobody ever really called it macaroni and cheese it was mac and cheese but they they said in the statement it is meant to reflect the way fans organically talk about the brand packaging will feature the new name and will hit the shelves in august uh the box also is very uh 2022 looking very minimalist but you compare it to the craft dinner box and the craft dinner box is better it's this similar, but it's got the big KD logo. You know what that stands for. And then it's got dripping cheese on it. So I think we're still in the lead here. I thought the Americans were going to jo- join in on what is objectively the better brand, but they're sticking to their guns and calling it Kraft Mac and Cheese. And I bet there's some market research that points out to them that they should stay with what they know. But I'm telling you, America, and I know we have some fans in the States listening right now. If you start calling it KD and Kraft Dinner, you will appreciate it try it by the way the text inbox is blowing up now with recipes for mac and cheese you were right ryan you said if we ever talked about food or music that the phone lines would blow up sure enough every time we talk about craft dinner how about this one yes craft dinner is awesome with salsa and basil salsa and basil i don't see Mm. that this one basil maybe now you're a fancy boy like if you're putting real organic ingredients into kd you're tr- you know what? It's kind of like the seven who tries to dress up as a 10. Like it's KD, <laughs> man. It's it is what it is. You eat it in your underwear, you eat it from the pot, you're watching reruns yeah. of MASH, and you just get through <laughs> it. Like, look at these people. This one, this one coming from British Columbia. Chilled V8 juice on a bowl of KD is heaven. On, okay, I'm wait, wait, sure wait, it's wait, not. wait, 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 wait. Okay, wait. There's two different ways to interpret that. Chilled V8 juice with a bowl of KD, that's okay. That's basically just drinking tomato juice and craft dinner. I says think on a bowl. That could probably work. But that's the thing. On a bowl of KD, that's a lot of liquid. <laughs> you got the K that's a lot. I don't think that works. I don't I please clarify the text. Please clarify. Ryan, I guarantee you you've ruined the inbox for the rest of the night because all yeah, we're probably. gonna get is ridiculous ingredients. Like look at this. Here we go. My mom would put crushed salt and vinegar potato chips on top of craft dinner. <laughs> A little bit of crunch. Interesting choice. Yeah. Interesting choice. Thanks for this. Uh, we, uh, well, hot dogs and craft dinner is a match made in heaven. Eh, um I could go with yeah, that. That got me through college. Yeah, yeah. Th- yeah exactly. Uh nothing will uh, yeah, I'm trying to think, uh, what's the, oh, I'm remembering now a, a friend of mine, when I worked at EB games, when, uh, we were all starving students made itch crafty, which is you take mm-hmm. craft dinner and you add the seasoning from an Ichiban ramen patch and you also cook it with the ramen noodles. So you get both kinds of noodles in with the cheese sauce and the ramen. And it was awful. Yeah, it sounds awful. It was terrible. (laughs) It was not good. Thanks for listening to the Shift Podcast. Make sure you subscribe, rate, and review the show and share with anyone you like. Get it on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and CuriousCast.ca. 